Hello, everyone. This is Erica Spicer Mason with Becker's Healthcare. Thank you for tuning into our session today. I'm pleased to be joined by two guests from Real Time Medical Systems. We have with us Nancy Kokoza, the Senior Advisor of Payer Solutions, and Phyllis Wodusik, the Executive Vice President of Value Based Care. They'll share with us how live post-acute analytics are improving member care and also reducing costs. Nancy and Phyllis, thank you so much for being with us today. And before we dive into the conversation, I wanted to know if you'd both like to just briefly introduce yourselves and share a little bit about your role and organization. Uh, maybe Nancy, we can start with you. Thank you, Erica. Yes, yeah, it's, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, I will tell you a little bit about myself. I spent virtually my whole career on the payer side of the healthcare industry. I started out as a financial executive and quickly made my way into operating health plans. So the last two decades of my career were dedicated to starting, building, expanding, and running Medicare health plans for national payers. I became convinced that healthcare should work better for older Americans, right? There are lots of opportunities to drive better outcomes for this population. One of the biggest challenges is sort of finding those opportunities where you can both make the healthcare more efficient and improve outcomes. And I will tell you, it is the reason that I became a senior advisor to real-time medical systems because I believe that the tools that they bring do exactly this. Wonderful. Thank you, Nancy. And Phyllis, if you'd like to say a little bit about yourself as well. Sure. Thank you for having us. Um, my name is Phyllis Wachusek, and I'm a nurse by background. I worked in a large health system um, and primarily did um, acute care management, but also uh, came into the ACO world and managed a post-acute network for many years. And um, as Nancy said, I also saw the gaps and the holes in the transitions of care um, across the continuum and really wanted to address that for that vulnerable, older uh, population that we see. And so having the chance to work with real time and really make a difference in that transition of care, as well as management of care uh, cohesively across the system um, is really why I came to work at real time. So we're excited to talk to you about some of those, uh, those things that we see today. Well, thank you, Phyllis. And thank you both. Just based on your backgrounds, it sounds like you have so much insight into some of these um, really critical moments in the care journey for patients and how to improve outcomes, as well as, of course, costs. So I'd love to dive into our conversation today just by talking about kind of upfront what really is the value that live post-acute data and analytics can bring to payers as they're trying to solve some of these issues. Nancy, maybe we can get started with you. Absolutely. So I'd like to start out by talking first about sort of what's the current state of affairs in the sort of health payer world. Today, you know, there's a current data set that most payers have available and they have a process for how they use it. And it really starts with knowing the patient's history, the criteria for let's call it the post-acute admission goals for that stay and an expected length of stay. You know, many payers have some sort of ADT feed, which is admission discharge transfer uh, feed that alerts the UM team if an admission may have otherwise fallen between the cracks. The UM departments that I've worked with 
follow the patient, let's say every seven or 10 days, and they inquire about the progress in meeting these goals. So when the discharge date grows near, that, that team can then plan for transition to home. It's a very focused process and it is valuable, but it can miss many opportunities to intervene when unexpected events arise that can completely derail a plan of care. And unexpected events can occur in a fairly significant percent of, of cases, particularly in an older population. And all you need to do is look at readmission rates, which can easily run 20 plus percent to know that's the case. So I'm gonna contrast that with live post-acute data that is both risk scored and provides a next best action. This data would allow the facility, the payer, and perhaps a risk-bearing provider to prioritize attention. Uh, among patients, coordinating action, make adjustments to the plan of care to reflect, call it this new status. So not only can the UM team ensure that criteria are met for continued stay, but now they can work to, like number one, prevent an acute readmission. Think about early signs of infection, behavioral health deterioration, medication side effects, or perhaps taking early action to prevent an exacerbation of a chronic illness. Number two, they can see that the data that they get daily can alert the UM staff to stalls in progress where perhaps a different care setting may soon be needed. And three, all of this fuller data set can be incredibly helpful in transition of care planning where having more data on patient needs and limitations can be super valuable in planning for the home care needs. Uh, as an aside, I will tell you that the largest iSNPs find enormous value in utilizing live post-acute data. In fact, it's the secret sauce for how they manage patients so well in a long-term care facility and prevent the bounce outs to, to uh, more acute uh, settings. So um, Phyllis and her team perform this service on behalf of risk-bearing health systems and payers today. And she hears regularly from clients in terms of where they see the most value. So I'd love Phyllis to take it from here. Sure. Thanks, Nancy. Um, you're right. We we do hear from payers uh, and value-based care entities about while using this type of live data, the ability to really plan for that transfer uh, to the next level of care, arrange social supports um, really in advance of the discharge and get everything ready for that um, for that transition of care. Um, oftentimes the, the payers have specific community resources that they use for these patients who have a lot of chronic comorbid conditions and getting those things set up and ready to receive that patient is really important because anytime you transition to another level of care, there's a risk for readmission there. So having that data to really make sure um, those transitions are, are, are well-directed and have everything they need uh, to succeed is really important. But one of the other components you talked about is really kind of understanding what's happening during that stay in the post of acute and understanding when there might be a stall in progress. Um, and so we want to make sure that the patient is at the most appropriate level of care. Um, and sometimes you don't understand without live data, if you're only checking in every seven to 10 days, you don't really understand that things might be stalling until you're pretty far 
down the stay, like the 20 to 25 day uh, period. And so having that early insight, you can adjust the plan of care um, and get the patient to the level of care they might actually really benefit more than that skilled uh, stay. One of the other things I think that Nancy mentioned is proactively identifying when there might be uh, clinical issues for patients. And so um, if we talk about infection, you know, everybody thinks temperature is the first sign of infection. Well, actually, that's not true, particularly in our older adults. Oftentimes, they, they have malaise, some fatigue. Um, they often also stop eating or really decrease their appetite before you see those full-blown signs of infection like temp and pulse changes and things like that. So if you're able to identify those subtle clinical changes and put an action plan in place and change that plan of care to address that, you're really able to uh, prevent a readmission. And so I'm going to use UTIs as, as a uh, example here because that's something we see quite frequently. And if you're able to identify UTI early and treat in place, um, you might add a day length of stay to your overall sniff stay, but you can prevent a very costly readmission. And so when a patient has a UTI that um, lingers and they become septic, oftentimes they have to go into the hospital, which can really be debilitating for an older adult with chronic conditions. And so now they have an expensive hospital stay. And then when they come back to the SNF, they probably have an even longer length of stay in that post-acute arena because they're very deconditioned after that stay. So those, those three items that you mentioned, transition of care, progression of care, and then management of clinical uh, conditions in that stay, I think are, are the three things you're right that are really helpful to payers and uh, also to patients and outcomes. Absolutely. Thank you both for those insights. And Phyllis, that example was really helpful. The theme that I'm picking up on here is that having this data and analytics with this speed really does enable care teams and the payer side to pr just prepare so much more readily and thoroughly um, to avoid some of those costlier issues down the line. Um, and of course, when you mention the ability to prevent readmissions, I mean, that's huge, especially on the payer side, thinking about so many quality measures that are tied to those events. Um, so thank you again for, for sharing. And I know we've touched on this a little bit already, but I think I'd like to dig just a little bit deeper into kind of the difference in the traditional data that payers are currently using, some of which you described, Nancy, and then also some of the features of the post-acute data and analytics. Really, what are the differences here? So from my payer perspective, the live data provides an ability to have direct line of sight into the member's care, far superior than waiting for claim data, which as we all know is lagged. Um, even the ADT data feeds that you know health plans may get daily, they just tell you where the member is. They don't really provide any clinical information. The self-reported data from the SNF is often spotty, abbreviated, the nurses are busy, and it, it may not be timely enough to avoid adverse events that can really derail a plan of care. Now, the live post-acute data that we talked about that's risk scored definitely allows the payers to focus on members you know, at high risk. Um, getting the, having the ability to receive live alerts and data that's presented in a usable way, you know, that's actionable is, you know, 
really invaluable. I'd say that live data enables the payers to coordinate the care interventions in the moment, avoiding adverse situations from occurring. I, I think the best way to illustrate this is for Phyllis to share, again, a couple of real world examples. So Phyllis, please. Yeah, thank you, Nancy. So I, I agree, this live data really enables that care coordination team, whether it's directly uh, from the payer or that oftentimes it's sourced out to other care coordination programs, but it gives you that line of sight at the patient level, um, including those vital sign changes, pain control, and other subtle changes that are often overlooked. Um, for example, Many sniff patients uh, are there for a particular condition, a fractured hip or you know, uh, some form of surgery, but really they have multiple chronic conditions that may not be the focus directly of that stay. However, they can affect uh, either positively or negatively the patient's outcome if they're not attended to. Um, our care coordination team frequently sees uh, patients who have histories of things like CHF. And so while the patient's in the facility, you often can see weight gain, which is measured by a nursing assistant, right? They um, have uh, the responsibility for going around and getting the weights every morning um, and, you know, charting that in somewhere. And then they also might have some edema, and that's seen by the assessment nurse. Um, and that nurse is really just going around assessing what's going on. And then they might have a med nurse who uh, they refuse their diuretic because they don't want to bother people to get up and have to go to the bathroom. And so now you have these three things in play, but no one person is really understanding the overall picture for this. And so um, when you use that analytics power to pull those things together, um, you're able to see a better complete picture. And when you start to see a weight gain, maybe some edema, maybe the patient's a little short of breath, and that all gets put together, it's easy to identify um, that there are uh, changes that might need to be made in the plan of care. One, there's probably some education for the patient. Two, you want to make sure they get their diuretic. And three, you might want to, you know, check a chest x-ray or a pulse ox or for things further to evaluate the situation for that patient. And so, you know, putting that together uh, in one fell swoop, it's easy for the care coordination team to see that and comment back to the facility and work together as a team to make sure the patient gets the treatments that they need um, in order to continue on their uh, progression through the facility. So a couple other things, um, this type of data also enables the care coordination team to really monitor that functional progress um, for the patient and help uh, make support, uh, help make some changes uh, that support a uh, plan of care that really will help the patient remain on course for progress to get to the next level of care. So I think those are some of the examples uh, we can talk about. Absolutely. And Phyllis, that example just highlights how complex uh, these care journeys can be in terms of the number of clinicians or staff who are checking in on a patient. And if all of that information is delayed, um, not communicated in a timely way, or maybe is incomplete, it would be really hard to get a full picture of exactly what that patient needs. Um, and so it, it's clear that this live data and analytics capabilities, they really do pro 
provide that direct line of sight, a more complete picture of a member's health, abilities to coordinate care better. Um, and I'm wondering if we can just take that a step further and maybe you could describe how payers can use these capabilities to really improve the member's care and also reduce costs. Yeah, absolutely. So as a payer, I'm most concerned with the outcomes of care. So reducing readmissions, having successful transitions to the home, as well as shortened SNF length of stay where warranted, they're prime examples of where payers can utilize these capabilities to drive better outcomes. But at a macro level, I would say that these capabilities are also helpful at evaluating the performance of a post-acute network. So this can translate into you know, quality improvement plans in specific networks, or payers may you know, sort of make decisions on whether or how to include certain facilities in value-based arrangements going forward. Sharing this data with ACO partners might also influence referral patterns to other of the payers' risk-bearing provider partners. So those are some examples of how payers would use this data. Really helpful. Thank you, Nancy. And Phyllis, is there anything that you'd like to add? Um, I, I think, you know, as Nancy mentioned, patient outcomes are what drive cost of care. And so if you're able to improve patient outcomes, prevent readmissions, you're improving quality, but at the same time, you're improving cost of care. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you both. And Nancy, I know you touched a little bit how these capabilities can really help to evaluate performance of post-acute networks. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about post-acute networks here. And what are the key benefits of using these data and analytics capabilities? Um, how can they really help payers in identifying those high-performing networks? Phyllis, maybe you can help us out there. Yeah, I'm thinking Phyllis is the is sort mm -hmm. of the um, sort of best person to talk about sort of again real-world examples for this sort of thing. Sure. sure. So for the risk-bearing programs that we work, work with, whether they're ISNPs, ACOs, or other value-based programs, it's really important for them, once they stop their focus on acute care, because I think that's really where people focus first from a cost perspective, they start to look at their post-acute referral networks. And what they really want is to standardize outcomes across their network, right? They want to know that anywhere their patient goes, they get the same outcome. And if they're able to do that, then they really drive referrals to those SNFs because of that predictable quality and efficiency in those facilities. And that's really crucial to maintain outcomes. So when you're looking at that type of data um, in, in a live way, not just waiting for claims data, you're really able to understand how your SNFs are performing, what types of patients they're, they're managing and how they're doing with that. And you start to be able to really work together to facilitate outcomes at that individual patient level and specifically from a population health viewpoint. So we see networks work together to standardize care, including things like the admission process, the discharge process, and having a targeted length of stay by case types. That live data supports all of those goals and really helps make it very clear as to how SNFs are performing and how patient individual outcomes are um, really playing into that. And so once a SNF provides evidence 
of um, consistently adhering to quality, you know, those readmission rates, length of stay goals, and, and specific quality focuses, SNFs can really start to be included in performance-based arrangements. And that really brings the SNF to being an accountable partner. And I wanna give you an example of this in a network that I work with. Um, in one particular SNF, uh, in this network, they did very well with cardiac patients, open heart patients, CHF patients, and, and their performance from a quality and a length of stay perspective and readmission was excellent. And the ACO, which was looked, linked to an acute care hospital, started to see that um, they, if they shifted their cardiac volume there, one, they got better outcomes, um, two, they could they could funnel more volume there because of those outcomes, but they also saw a, a care opportunity that they had been struggling with. And that was around LVADS, which is a left ventricular assist device. And what happened is this is a really supportive therapy to bridge someone um, into a heart transplant. And those patients typically had stayed in the hospital for several months at a time. They, they weren't able necessarily to manage this at home, um, but it was a very expensive environment to keep the patient in. And honestly, the patient wasn't happy spending you know, several months in, a, in an acute care facility. And once they realized that this particular partner had the skill set to help them manage this case type, they worked to provide additional training. Um, they also put in some specific rounding patterns but they were able to transition their patients with LVADs to this post-acute facility where one, the outcomes stayed the same. They were able to manage the patients without any quality, negative quality impacts. Two, the patients were happier because they weren't in such an institutional setting. They could have more family visit. Um, they had opportunities to participate in other activities. So it was really beneficial from a mental health perspective, as well as from a functional perspective. They were able to walk around um, the facility and had, had more opportunity to participate in those activities. And so this was really about a partnership based on outcomes um, to expand to other clinical case types once that trust um, was there and once that real partnership was there. So these types of networks can really, one, standardize processes like we talked about, but drive innovation as well that's good for the patient, the facilities, the acute care facility, and certainly the payer. Oh, thank you so much for that example, Phyllis. It really goes to show how bolstering that network really trickles down into the patient's experience as well. Um, I've had family members in and out of the care system and it very much in the way that you just described uh, recently and certainly like making sure that the patient's needs are met and the level of care is met appropriately is a huge influencer on their experience and their happiness and to your point, mental health. So um, thank you so much for sharing that. And Nancy, I, I really am looking forward to hearing how this impacts the payer side as well. So do you have um, any examples where you could share how the live post-acute analytics are really contributing to cost savings and outcomes for payers? Again, I think this is sort of Phyllis's opportunity to provide some really meaningful real-world examples on this one. 
Sure. Um, so we do have a number of uh, partners that use the network data to really refine their SNFs for that um, inclusion and value-based networks like we just talked about a moment ago. Um, and so let me let me give you an example. Um, an ACO that was related to a health system um, saw a reduction in readmission rates that led to a savings of 1.7 million in kind of a regional ACO like I described. And their network referral rate, meaning referring to those SNFs that were primarily in their preferred network, went from an average of 55% up to 88%. So once they saw that the SNF performance was there, they were able to convince um, their providers who did referrals to really endorse their, their network, their preferred network, and that really drove up that those referral rates. So it was good for the network, right? It was good for the acute care provider and ACO because they saw savings with reduction of readmissions, but it was also good for that SNF network because they really saw uh, an increase in referrals that kept their network really vibrant and, and sustained uh, during difficult times. And then um, I think we already mentioned this, as, as we see um, specific SNFs work with uh, networks, they become very adept at certain types of care. And so when that happens, you see that innovation we talked about just a moment ago around high-risk patients um, getting the type of treatment they need and being in a, in a less institutional setting. So I think that, that gives you some idea of, of how this post-acute analytics really lets uh, payers optimize their, uh, their networks. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Phyllis, especially for sharing some of those kind of concrete numbers. Um, really helpful for our audience, I'm sure. And so, Nancy, I'm hoping you can kind of wrap us up here and just also share your thoughts and insights on how these capabilities are contributing to cost savings and improve outcomes, um, especially through that process of identifying the efficient post-acute networks. Yes, absolutely, Erica. So I think the best way to evaluate the impact of using live post-acute data is to look at a number of client-reported studies that were designed to measure exactly that. So I'll, I'll go through a couple. So St. Joseph's Health System in Patterson, New Jersey, um, sort of began using these tools, found a 25% reduction in readmission in the first year of sort of using this. And now, you know, they have... Uh, sort of been in the program for several more, and they're now at a 35% readmission reduction from baseline. Pretty impressive. Um, a second one is a two health system SNF market that experienced a readmission rate uh, reduction of 27%. Um, and when you combine this with uh, looking at sort of the combined costs of the acute and post-acute stay, they actually saw a total cost of care reduction of 6% overall activity sort of in the 90-day period versus a control group. And, and they measured this over a six-month period of time. In a large health system ACO market, we have, uh, again, another client that saw a readmission reduction that exceeded 50%. And again, for certain uh, patient cohort, a post-acute length of stay reduction of four to five days. 
So to summarize, I, I would say live post-acute data contributes to obviously lower acute readmission rates, and we've seen 25 to 50%, to lower total cost of care of between six and 10% based on client studies. Three, I'd say shorter length of stay, again, for certain patient cohorts that are short stay uh, cohorts of three to five days. And, and I would say four, sort of lower bounce back from home. And I will tell you that next to initiatives that will you know, reduce, call it in, acute inpatient risk, focusing on the post-acute experience can have the next biggest impact to improving cost efficiency and outcomes for this population without creating abrasion for members and providers. So I hope that sort of gives you a sort of a summary picture of what we've been chatting about. That was a great summary, Nancy. Thank you so much. And I know that moving the needle on some of these measures, readmissions rates, cost of care, length of stay, they're really difficult measures to, to see impact on. So it definitely speaks to the capabilities of this type of data and analytics and really the impact that it can make. Um, so thank you both so much again for being here today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank Wonderful. you. Well, it's been fantastic speaking with you both. And we'd also like to thank our sponsor today, Real-Time Medical Systems, as well as everybody who joined us today. You can tune into more sessions from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our website at beckerspayer.com.